this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. Hey everyone, Sid Evans here. We're getting ready for season two of Biscuits and Jam, but in the meantime, we wanted to reshare our episode with the one and only Gladys Knight. Enjoy. Welcome to another episode of Biscuits and Jam from Southern Living. I'm Sid Evans, editor in chief of Southern Living Magazine. My guest today says that long before her track to stardom, she sang with her family in the kitchen. All the time, I can remember that after we ate, we sang. And I could hear my mom and my aunties, they would have the kitchen window up and we could hear them singing. All my folks could sing, my mom, my aunties, my uncles, and my cousins, it was, it was like that. Gladys Knight, known around the world as the Empress of Soul, began performing in her native Atlanta at age four. By 15, she and her brother and cousins, known as the Pips, already had a hit with their debut single, Every Beat of My Heart, in 1961. Despite success on the R&B charts over the next decade, 1973 changed everything for the quartet with the release of Midnight Train to Georgia, which became not just the group's crossover hit, but one of the most beloved pieces of American recorded music. The lyrics center around leaving the hustle and bustle of the big city for a home in the South. And even if you're not a native Southerner, the sentiment remains universal nearly 50 years later. Along with multiple Grammys, Gladys Knight and the Pips were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1996. Along the way, she penned a cookbook as well as an autobiography and landed a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. On today's show, we'll hear how Midnight Train to Georgia almost didn't happen and instead could have been a midnight plane to Houston. I said, well, I'm having a problem projecting the song because I don't know nothing about Houston. And I show ain't gonna be up to midnight, you know. <laughs> All that and more today on Biscuits and Jam. Well, Gladys Knight, it is truly an honor to have you on Biscuits and Jam. Well, thank you so much. I love those too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a sweetaholic, see, so the jam thing just wears me out. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so is it fair to say that you love to cook? I love to cook. I've been cooking, let's see, since I was uh, six years old. Wow, you got an early start. I do. I come from a family where, and I don't think they do it anymore, but I think it's a good idea. 
all the ladies in my family used to come together, and they'd just be having so much fun in the kitchen, and one of them would make this particular recipe, and somebody else would be doing something else, and they'd just, ooh, it'd be so good, too. Smelling up the whole house is great. And so that's when I started, and I was always in there in the way. <laughs> at six years old. But rather than chastising me, they started teaching me. And uh, yeah. I love that. Some of them lived in Hampton, Georgia. Some of them lived in Atlanta. Some of them lived in Decatur, you know. And uh, I was just fascinated. And when it was done and they called everybody in to eat, the food was amazing. And it just kept me going. And when I got uh, eight, my mom bought me a cookbook. They had a children's cookbook. And I was so excited, so I started cooking out of that cookbook. Very simple things like eggs or making a special toast or making a little soup or whatever. You know, something something very plain. And uh, that's how I started cooking. And I was so amazed by these ladies in my family. And they just taught us how to cook. So there was a lot more than just your mom cooking. You had? Did you have aunts and uncles, cousins? All of them. Let me tell you something that <laughs> that people don't pick up on these days. Men are great cooks. All my uncles and my cousins, my male cousins and, and nephews, they came to cook too. <laughs> and on top of that, we'd all be singing. We had enough people in there cooking to have a choir. <laughs> wow, that sounds like a rowdy household. <laughs> yeah, it was great. It was great. My Uncle Alvin taught me how to make barbecue sauce. Ooh, it was so good. It was so good. So, so I'm wondering, can you describe the house for me where you grew up in Atlanta? It was in Atlanta, right? Born and raised in Atlanta at Grady Hospital. And as I just got through telling you, I had a lot of family. Okay, <laughs> and they'd all get up in the living room while we cooking, and and we'd be in the kitchen singing and cooking. So that's what my life was like. And for some reason, we always had enough room for everybody. Like my uncle mm-hmm. Ben, he had a construction company, and all of the male relatives worked for him. But they also lived in this house, so I loved it. I don't know if people do that these days or not, but it was an amazing thing, you know. How did y'all celebrate the holidays? Who are we? (laughs) (laughs) They would sit, I'll I'll go way back, okay, because we were children, as you know, when we got into this. And so we would be over, like I said, a lot of us, even my mom and dad and, and the four that they had with us. They, we lived upstairs from my aunt and uncle that I'm talking about that own this six-family place, and we lived on the top floor. And so, boy, we would come down, and we'd be out in the yard playing. I mean, it sounds like y'all had a lot going on uh, on a regular day, but the holidays must have really been something else. It was. They would send us out to play most of the time because they wanted to get through with their cooking and there were so many dishes. But we didn't mind that at all. For me and my cousin Gwen, we used to make up stuff to cook because we had tea sets. So we'd take dirt and make mud, and we would call that a pie. (laughs) (laughs) I'm 
sorry. I'm sorry, but that's how much into cooking we were. And to this day, you still love to cook, don't you? I still love to cook. I still love to cook. Now I'm experimenting more now, you know, that I know the basic things about uh, cooking and how many other contemporary different ways that you can do things that we used to make by scratch. Take a peach cobbler, okay? Okay. Or apple cobbler, all right? So they made everything scratch. They made the crust. They made the wonderful stuff with the peaches and the apples and and that kind of thing. And then the way they laid it out, they used a lot of butter back then. You know, now people are so aware of what they look like. You know, they don't use as much of that stuff as we used to do when we first started cooking. You know, a lot of lard, a lot of butter, a lot a lot of sugar, a lot of this, you know. And it was amazing. And all the time, I can remember that after we ate, we sang. And I could hear my mom and my aunties in the kitchen because their kitchen, like, overlooked the driveway where we would play. It was just really a backyard with cement, you know. They would have the kitchen window up, and we could hear them singing. All my folks could sing, my mom, my aunties, my uncles, you know, and my cousins. It was it was like that. Well, so what were y'all singing? Was this gospel music? Were there were there particular songs that you remember? It was all kinds of music. You know, that's one thing I loved about my family is that they loved music, period. Now, for us, it was certain things that were on the radio during that time that we weren't allowed to sing. You, know? you get in trouble. <laughs> yeah, you know, but long as it was clean... We could always sing. And, of course, my uncle had a gospel group. They were always on the radio on Sunday singing gospel music. They had the live uh, gospel things on the radio on Sunday. And so my uncle Alvin and his group sang on Sunday. So finally, after I got maybe a year or two older, um, they started carrying My uncle Alvin started carrying me with them. So I'd be up there singing on the radio, WRD. With, with my Uncle Alvin. So I've been singing all my life. Was there a particular song or a hymn that had a big impact on you? Well, my mom was the first. My dad was always proud, okay? Yeah. <laughs> but my mom was the first to think about maybe doing something with my singing, okay? So I got a chance to sing all kinds of music. And we would do this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. Oh, this little light of mine. That was one of the first ones that she she taught me, you know. Um, oh. And then I would do, when I was younger, lullaby and good night with roses. And later on down the line, after I got a little older, I was seven years old by then. <laughs> so they had called uh, my aunt and my mom got together. And they, the Ted Mack Amateur Hour had come on television. And so they got together. 
my Aunt Anne and my mom and wrote to Ted Mack and told them about me, then she'd always ask me if this was something I would like to do. She never just put me on front street, you know, because I didn't like a whole lot of attention. I liked playing and I, with my with my family and and my friends and getting dirty. You know, I was a tomboy <laughs> from day one. <laughs> making mud pies. <laughs> yeah, making, yeah. <laughs> yeah, making mud pies. And we'd be running, playing tag. We had a ball. We really, really did, you know. And then, as you know, we grew up and my family became a singing group, which is my sister, Brenda, my cousin, Eleanor, me and my brother, Bubba, made a group. And so they said, you guys want to sing? So some of the stuff we got a chance to do from the radio and Pip, where we got our name from, was my mom's nephew. And uh, he was a, a man about town. he come from work. And it'd take him one hour, and he'd come out, he'd be sharp as a tack going to see some girl. <laughs> <laughs> he's, a, he's a good role model. Yeah, going to see some girl. And then when my mom called him and said, hey, get over here, she didn't ask him if he wanted to be our manager. But he knew we could sing, and he knew every all the singers. He knew everybody in the clubs the owners and everything, you know. So she called him up and told him to come over there, get over here. But he, and my mom said, well, well you're going to be their manager. He said, I ain't got no time for them children. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> but my mom said, yes, you do. And, uh, of course, he became our manager, and he was a great one because he knew all about show business because he was out every night. And that's how we got started. One of your first big hits was called Every Beat of My Heart. Yes. And you must have been 16? Uh, 15. Wow. Well, yeah, what was it like to have a breakout hit at that age? We prayed a lot. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't know it was going to be a breakout hit. But everything that we did, because it was the way of our family, we prayed about it. Is this the right thing to do? Can we be successful with this? Could you help us with this? And so Pip knew the Midnighters. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. Mm -hmm. Yes. But anyway, it was a very popular group called the Midnighters, and there was a a gentleman in it by the name of Sonny. And so uh, Pip would take us around to different people's houses and have us singing. In the living room, we said, Pip, we don't want to sing in the living room. You know, so he said, get up. Come on, come on, do something with it. Do something with it. That was his thing all the time. So we sung for Sonny, and he was very impressed. And he started gathering music for us. And Every Beat of My Heart was one of the songs. And uh, so we sang it, and he said, we got to record this. We got to record this. So we went to this club where we were doing like a night probably you know we're going to high school almost by then and so we sang it 
I was walking down the street on Hunter Street one day with my friends from school. They had said, we love your music. I said, what music? So they said, your song, your song. You know that song, your song? I said, I don't know what song y'all talking about. We happened to pass by the record store, and we were just walking and talking. I wasn't paying no attention. They said, oh, girl, oh, oh girl, your song is on. I said, what song? I said, listen, listen, and it was their beat of my heart. And that's how it went. So from then on, were you on the road a lot? Yeah. (laughs) Now, that was something new. (laughs) Being on the road, Pip was a, a very, very staunch manager when it came down to us. It was just certain things he didn't allow us to do. He did not allow us to sit down in our uniforms. He did not allow us to come up on that stage until it was time for them to call us. He did not allow us to be with certain people that didn't have what he called the proper thing to be saying or doing around us. So I'm so grateful for my family. I am, you know, because the things that they did teach us kind of stayed with us and it's still with us. And so he set rules and that was it. He said, y'all sit down right there till I come back. And we had school to do, so he'd make us go out and sit in the, in the car and do our homework. So you grew up in such a crazy existence. I mean, you collaborated and performed with people like Smokey Robinson, Stevie Wonder, Marvin Gaye, Patti LaBelle, so many legends. I'm wondering if some of these folks really felt like family to you? They did. Matter of fact, during that that time, we became family. And, And we would go to each other's houses. It was such a natural, real kind of thing. I don't see artists doing that these days. You know, they're too important or they want to be, you know, way up here. We weren't concerned about that. We wanted to do the best music that we could do. And uh, we would teach each other. It wasn't so much envy or anything like that, you know. It's like we just come together, you know, and, and Stevie or Smokey or Marvin or Mary Wells or anybody said, try this, do that, you know. And then as we grew, we got to the top of the line entertainers that wrapped their arms around us, you know, like Sammy Davis Jr., Billy Eckstein. Uh, Sarah Vaughn. I mean, everybody that was in that arena adopted us, so to speak, you know, and they just taught us what we should do and, and even how to perform when we were on stage. I just remember that I was a little bit shy because I didn't know that avenue. I didn't know that well, you know, and so I really hadn't learned how to captivate or to capture an audience in their ear if you're in a noisy nightclub or if you're in a, a, a auditorium or anything like that. How do you get them to listen to you, especially if it was a dinner show? You got forks clanking and all that kind of stuff, you know. And when Sammy come out there, he controlled that audience. I was in awe of that. And I used to go, I said, how do you do it? How, how do you do that? I know they love you. 
and they love your music, but, you know, when you step on stage or you start to perform and you get to your quiet time and you're performing, how do you do that? He said, when you get out there, you do your song from your heart, which you always do. But do it, because I'm, I'm a contralto, and so I kind of belted out my, my music. It had power to it. And he said, and if you say anything to them or singing anything to them, just bring it down and just get softer and softer and softer, and they'll want to hear what you got to say or what you're singing. And it was, it was something that worked with me from that day to this one. Mm. Don't try to outdo the audience if they're noisy. Because mm-hmm. somebody's going to say, shh. And that's <laughs> going to get it. And he was right. He was right. <laughs> We've got plenty more with the great Gladys Knight after the break. Hey folks, it's Hunter Lewis, Editor-in-Chief of Food & Wine. This fall, we're launching the new Food & Wine Classic in Charleston with our partners at Southern Living Travel and Leisure, and we want to see you there. This incredible three-day culinary experience will showcase the hospitality, food, drinks, and culture of one of our favorite cities in the country. Join us September 27th to 29th to learn more from iconic chefs, share a glass with innovative wine experts, and get to know Charleston with one-of-a-kind experiences curated by the experts at Food & Wine, Southern Living, and Travel & Leisure. Tickets are on sale now at foodandwine.com forward slash Charleston Classic. That's foodandwine.com forward slash Charleston Classic. See you down in Charleston. Welcome back to Biscuits and Jam from Southern Living. I'm Sid Evans, and we're talking with the Empress of Soul, Gladys Knight. I've got to ask you about Midnight Train to Georgia, of course. So I've heard that that song had another name when you first came across it. Midnight Plane to Houston. It doesn't have the same ring to it. Uh, What is the story behind that? That's what he intended for it to be. You know, I would always read the lyrics first when somebody would send us some music. And I was reading and... uh, I said, just what you just said. I said, that don't sound right. <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't know that I didn't have nerve enough to tell the writer how it was supposed to be. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I did so many foolish things that I didn't know about. But anyway, so I said, hey, would you mind if um, if we kind of change the lyric around a little bit? I'm having a problem um, projecting the song because. I don't know nothing about Houston. I said, and and, and I show ain't gonna be up to midnight, you know. So, <laughs> so <laughs> anyway, he said, "Yeah, go ahead. What you wanna do?" I said, "I think how about how about midnight train to Georgia, cause that's where we're from." And the rest is history. Yeah, I said we don't fly. We ride the train or we drive, you know. <laughs> And he started laughing. He said, yeah, go ahead, do it. Just do it any way you want to do it. Wow. Well, you know, there's a line in that song that says, he's going back to find a simpler place in time. Absolutely. What do those lyrics mean to you? 
Well, they mean everything. Georgia, for us, was always home, especially Atlanta. And that's why that line, to me, just hit home. It's just easy. Going back to find a simpler place in time. The further up north we got, the less they were, what what can I say, uh, amenable to being cordial, so to speak. They They were separated. They were in pockets. It wasn't just an ordinary thing that you would do whether you knew a person or not. You walk by, you say hello, you say hi, or you wave, or you smile, or you do something. It's a simple thing. <laughs> so that's that's why that meant so much to me. It's a Southern thing. It is. <laughs> southern hospitality. You're, you're absolutely right. You hit the nail on the head then. <laughs> But I, I loved it. I loved that. And, you know, we lived in New York for a while. It was a totally different kind of thing. You know, you'd be walking by people, you say hi, and they look at you like you lost your mind. <laughs> so, <laughs> we brought uh, those southern ways on up in there, and we'd be saying, what's wrong with them? What, what do we do? <laughs> So I want to ask you about uh, about Little Richard. Tell me what he meant to you as as an artist and and on a personal level. He was amazing. We worked with him a lot too, you know. And you know, I don't care what you do in life, whether it's history, whether it's music, whether it's just hard work or whatever. You got to have something and someone on your side saying, "Oh, you did a great job." It helps whether it's building a house or whether it's singing a song, you, those were the kind of things that would happen. And Richard was good at those things. He'd be calling me mm. upstairs, you know. I mean, we were at the Apollo together. We were at a lot of places together. But I remember him calling me upstairs, hey, Gladys. I said, what? <laughs> he said, girl. And he wasn't playing either. He'd be telling me about the song that I just did and how it just swept him off his feet that I did such a great job on it. Well, you take those things. Who doesn't want to be uplifted like that? Mm. And Richard was wide open about that. And he had fun with what he did. He had fun at what we do, but he was also the kind of person he'd tell you right off. (laughs) Just tell you about yourself. What you think you doing? You know, kind of thing. If somebody came up with an attitude, you know, like they were all that, mm-hmm. you didn't want to hear from Richard because he'd be wearing people out, you know. But he would tell it like it is. Yes, he would. <laughs> and he was so fun. Big as he was as with his music and, and his performances, his performances were dynamite. You, you couldn't help but move. You know, won't you come along with me? And he'd be putting his foot on the piano and all that kind of stuff. (laughs) So it was great. I loved him to death. Matter of fact, uh, he lived not too far from me once I moved to L.A. Mm. So we had a chance to spend more time together than we did when we were all on, on the road. You know, so, yeah, I miss him already. I do. 
Well, I just got to ask you how these last few weeks have been for you, um, being quarantined and not being able to perform. Um, what's it been like for you? Well, to tell the very honest truth, I am very grateful that they're handling it like they are. With a situation like this, you have to have a certain empathy in your heart to be able to function in a situation like this. I mean, if you got people who know more about it than you do, you need to listen. The mm-hmm. same with music, the same with, with growing up, the same with whatever job you have with people that's been there for ages and know how to do it and know how to teach you to do it. That's what needs to happen. And you need not to be selfish to say, shoot, I want to go over here. I want to go outside. I want to do this. You know, and they're saying, hey, please, please, you know nothing about this virus. Stay inside, you know. So if I'm sick, why would I want you to come around me? I'd be the one telling you, say, hey, be still. I don't want to see you like this. To think that I could infect somebody if I was sick. That's that's not thinkable, you know. Have you been able to enjoy this time at home just cooking and being on the farm? Oh, without a doubt. I love what I do. I have been blessed to be able to do what I do. I have been blessed to be married to a man that just loves home stuff, you know. He's not a traveler, so to speak, so us being home is a whole nother kind of joy for us. And we got a new baby. It's a puppy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? What's the name? <laughs> Peppa is his name, and he's our son, and he is the sweetest. Everybody loves Peppa. Now, you've got a lot of children and grandchildren. I'm guessing you miss seeing them. I have 17 grandkids, and I have 10 great-grandkids, and I miss seeing them. I do. But I teach them also, you know, how to be careful and take care of themselves because they just want to play and that kind of stuff. But we have them wearing their masks. See, children go according to what you do. And when that broke out and they saw us before they got their masks, uh, with our masks on and everything, and we just told them, okay, baby, you have to wear these, you know, you have to do this, you have to do that, you can't touch this, and you can't touch that. But if you are setting the example for them, it's so much easier for them to do. We all need to be safe, that's for sure. Well, Gladys Knight, thank you for being on Biscuits and Jam. It's my pleasure, and I do love biscuits and jam. (laughs) Matter of fact, I had one yesterday, didn't I? We had some biscuits left over, and I I had some strawberry jam, and I was making a cake. And I said, I'm going to put this strawberry jam in my cake. And I did, and I took some mint jelly and put it in it. It's so good, (laughs) y'all. Well, I hope you'll come see us at the Test Kitchens down here in Birmingham sometime. We would love to have a visit. I would love that. I'm telling you, I really would. I would love that. (laughs) Well, I'm not kidding. The invitation is always there, at least when we open this place. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) there you go. 
Well, I'll be singing while I'm cooking because that's the way I do it. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Gladys Knight. You can keep up with her on Facebook or at GladysKnight.com. Southern Living is based in Birmingham, Alabama, and this podcast was produced and edited in Nashville, Tennessee. If you like what you hear, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or telling your friends about the program. You can find us online at southernliving.com and subscribe to our print publication by searching for Southern Living at www.magazine.store. Biscuits and Jam is produced by Heather Morgan Schott, Chrissy Tiglius, and me, Sid Evans, for Southern Living. Thanks also to Ann Kane, Jim Hankey, Eliza Lambert, and Rachel King at Pod People. We're excited to let you know that more episodes of Biscuits and Jam are coming your way soon. Just stay tuned and subscribe to us however you listen to your podcasts. From everyone here at Southern Living, we wish you health, happiness, and of course, great food and music. We hope to see you again, and thanks for listening.